The summer months are a little bit unusual for the life of our church because so many of our families are traveling and on the road. Occasionally, uh, we get the, to be on the receiving side of those who are traveling, and this Sunday happens to be a good Sunday when we have more visitors than usual. And in a church size like ours, it is not very difficult for us to greet some people by name, as I have just done earlier in the service. I realize that that's, that's not very common for most churches. Uh, it feels today a little bit weird in our culture to just greet people by name in a service, right? And yet, if we read the letters of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul did not feel it awkward to greet some people by name as he wrote them letters that expected to be read out loud in the gathering of the church. He did that because for Paul, personal relationships in the gospel were very significant. So significant that he thought it is uh, worth spending time mentioning some people by name. And this morning, we are looking at a passage of Scripture where we are going to read a lot of names, and you should pray for me uh, to read these names well. So we are going to get into the book of Romans. We are at the end of the book. I'm inviting you to open to chapter 16. And I'll be reading from verse 1 all the way to verse 23. The Word of God this morning is going to take us to a rather unique and special place of Scripture. Let's hear it as we begin God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Chancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Uh, greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my fellow kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tripena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asancritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, 
so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, greet you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in asking God to, pr- to bless both the preaching of his word and uh, the hearing of it? Let's pray. Gracious Father, you have included in your word a section of a list of many names. Father, as we hear this word, as we have just read this list of greetings, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would impress upon our minds, upon our consciences, upon uh, our souls, the message and the lesson you have intended to communicate through this text. I pray that you'd help me proclaim it. I pray that you help us hear it for the glory of Christ. And in the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you noted or noticed how many names are mentioned in this text? If we were to work through these names again and we were to count them, we would count 35 names or people mentioned by name. And beyond them, uh, other people who are referenced without giving their names. This may seem to you like a dry patch of text. With so many names and so many greetings, perhaps you're wondering, what can you preach from this text? Well, I intend to preach what Paul intended to communicate through this list. And I wonder if you picked up on some big ideas that have been repeated over and over and over again in this text. There's clearly the the question of greeting one another. Paul is passing greetings to to people, and then he's passing greetings from others to the church of Rome. Why would Paul bring up these 35 names? Uh, Greet, send greetings to 27, and pass on greetings from eight others, passing those greetings to the church of Rome. Why spend such a long time Passing greetings uh, from people to people. Well, because relationships with individual Christians matter. The relationships between Christians matter. Now, there's an idiom in the, in the English language that it took me a while to understand what it means. The idiom is, the proof is in the pudding. I thought, what does what, what pudding have to do with various whatever, wherever this idiom shows up? Why the pudding? It took me a while to figure it out. Eventually, I've learned that this idiom means that the value the quality or truth of something must be judged based on direct experience with it or on its results. So the genuineness, the truthfulness uh, of something, whatever it is, whether it's a business plan, whether it's hopes that you have, whatever things you are hoping to accomplish, um, the proof is in the pudding is a way of saying, well, let's see what the results come out of it. Let the results prove the genuineness, the, the truthfulness, the, 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 the reality of what you're hoping to accomplish or, or experience. I think this list, at the end of the book of Romans, is like saying the proof 
of everything I have written to you about is in the pudding. And the pudding is the relationships. The results of the gospel that Paul has been unfolding for us from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 15. The, 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 the proof that what he has been communicating is true, is genuine, is the relationships that this gospel has been forming and forging among people who have come from various different backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles alike. Some of the names in this list are Jewish names. Others are Gentiles. Some are people of influence. Others are just regular people. Some are women. Others are men. We see a variety of names and of experiences in, behind these names. But Paul is taking time to, to greet them and to mention them because he wants to showcase, to give us a proof that the gospel produces relationships with God. And because each of us have a relationship with God, those of us who are in a relationship with God are now also in relationships with each other. Oh, friends, this letter is rich not only in deep truths about God and about the gospel, but it's a sweet aroma. It's like the cherry on the cake of this letter to bring up all these weird names. But because behind every weird name, there is a history of a relationship. Now, you and I may feel like, well, why send, say all 35 names? Why not just put them all in one sentence, everybody greets you, and move on? Because relationships matter. And if you were one of these 35 names, would you be glad? Would you be glad that you were mentioned by name? You totally would. There's a history of relationships that's being identified by just calling somebody's name out and doing so in such a public way. Let's look at what this list of greetings and instructions, as we will see actually, uh, this list of greetings is not only for how to welcome others and cultivate relationships, but as we will see actually, uh, some relationships are to be avoided. Not all the relationships in this text are to be welcomed and cultivated. We're going to see how it's not just a, just open up your arms to everybody. There's, there's a little bit of a puzzling message in the midst of, of these greetings. If the last two messages we looked at encouragements for gospel ministry and partners in gospel ministry, today we are looking at relationships for gospel ministry. And the primary message this list of relationships communicates to us and wants to teach us is this. The gospel helps us create relationships, and these relationships must be cultivated. The gospel helps us create relationships, and these relationships must be cultivated. That's what Paul is seeking to accomplish with this list of names that he mentions in this chapter. Now, as we look at, at this list of names and the relationships that the gospel encourages us to cultivate, we will see four ways in which we are called to cultivate these gospel relationships. In the way Paul does it here, we will see four ways in which you and I are also encouraged and, and equipped how to cultivate gospel relationships. We're called to cultivate gospel relationships generously for gospel purposes, second, affectionately and discerningly. Let me say those again. That's just the outline and, and the, the, the guide for, for the message this morning. We're called to cultivate gospel relationships generously for gospel purposes, 
affectionately and discerningly. The first part we see is that gospel relationships must be cultivated generously. Paul begins his list of greetings by actually introducing us to a name, a particular lady that is visiting the church of Rome. It's one of Paul's co-workers. Her name is Phoebe. She came from a town called Chancria. And the Bible teachers that try to help us understand who this lady is debate on whether or not um, she was the person who actually took the letter from Paul and brought it to Rome. It's possible. We, we don't know. Uh, but it's possible that the reason Paul is actually commending, introducing this lady to the church of Rome is because she may have been the one who actually carried the letter from Paul to the church of Rome. Look at verse 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Chancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Uh, Phoebe is is a a name in, in this letter that has gotten a lot of attention, particularly because she is called a servant of the church at Chancria. Uh, some Bible teachers uh, are persuaded that the word a servant of the church of Chancria is referring to the office of, uh, of a deacon because actually the word a servant is the word diakonos or a, that's the word used for servants. But because she's not just described as a servant but a servant of a particular church, some Bible teachers uh, argue that this is a clue that she is not just a servant like all Christians are called to be servants, but that she was actually in the office of a, of a deacon of this particular church at Chancria. It's possible, it's plausible uh, that, that this is the case, but it's inconclusive. It's simply a tentative uh, interpretation, and uh, we can simply hold it as a possibility that, yeah, she probably was a deacon, and people wonder, well, can, can females be deacons? That's a larger conversation uh, that Christians debate about, and this text alone will not settle the issue. What is clear is that she was a servant. She was serving Christ. She was serving the church, a particular local church, And the other part that is surprising or interesting about her is that she was a patron, which was a way of saying the Lord blessed this woman with wealth. She was a wealthy Christian lady at the church in Chancria. And because of her wealth, she had more means. Um, She was known for helping others financially, whether it was helping others in their needs or helping others in their mission to take the gospel to other places. Paul was a benefactor. Paul was a recipient of of this lady's uh, generosity to invest and give what the Lord has given to her to bless others. So in this we see that gospel relationships uh, must be cultivated generously. Uh, Phoebe gave an example of, of using the resources God has blessed her with to help others in need or help other gospel ministries. But in this letter, she is actually on the receiving side of needing to be helped. Paul says to the church of Rome, welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. And I ask you, what is a way worthy of the saints? What is that welcoming in a way worthy of the saints? Well, Paul continues and defines what that means. He says in verse 2, And help her in whatever she may need from you. In other words, get to know what her needs are. And a way of welcoming others that is worthy of the saints is find out what she needs and help her. That's a way 
to welcome each other in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Find out the needs, be attentive to their needs, and seek to meet them as much as the Lord enables you to do that. That's what it means to welcome other believers in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Cultivate relationships by being generous towards other Christians. This means that we should so live our lives that we intentionally allow room in our lives, in our schedules, in our resources, uh, whether it's resource of time or resource of our homes or resource of our money, that we should so plan our life that we can actually come alongside each other in generous ways. Friends, this means that if you're a Christian, your food budget should actually be perhaps more than the food budget of another non-Christian. Not because you go out and eat all the time. You can blow through food budget quite quickly if you do that. But also because you, you just have more people over. Well, that affects the food budget. Anyone with me? When you have people over, it affects how much money you spend on food. Well, a part of welcoming others in the Lord in a way that is worthy of the saints means I'm going to create some margins in my, in my life, including my food budget. I'm okay to spend more money on food so that we can have people over, so we can do the welcoming, the hospitality uh, with others. Or consider that if the Lord has blessed you with more space in your home when someone visits or someone is in need, consider opening your home, providing a room, uh, hospitality, whether it's a short visit or staying on for a few days or for a longer period, that we open our homes for others to stay with us. Oh, friends, if the Lord blesses you with financial resources, we want to encourage you to use them generously for gospel purposes. Here's the point. We should so order our lives that we have margins in our schedules and in our time, finances, to support others in need. Why? Because that's what the gospel does among people who are in the Lord. We open up each other's lives. We cultivate gospel relationships by cultivating this sense of wanting to be generous. But you can only be generous if you intentionally put some boundaries on what you spend on yourself so you have something to share with others. Well, friends, I pray that in your life you would consider whether or not you keep living your life always spending more than you can actually earn. If you do that, uh, you're not going to have margin to be generous towards others in need. So be intentional in how you think about your budget. Uh, again, here I'm not meaning just money. I'm meaning everything the Lord gives you so that we can cultivate gospel relationships that are generous. Second of all, a second category or second characteristic of these gospel relationships, gospel relationships must be cultivated for gospel purposes. Gospel relationships must be cultivated for gospel purposes. Most of the people in this list are mentioned as being, have you word, noticed the word workers in the Lord? Workers in the Lord. But they are not professional missionaries or full-time pastors or missionaries. They were simple Christians who had secular jobs yet did not let the missions work to be done only by full-time workers or apostles like Paul. These were people whom Paul interacted with in various places that he had been on mission trips and, and, and places to share the gospel. How do we know that? Well, in, in a number of ways. Most of the names are people whom Paul has known from the past. Are you surprised that he mentions 27 names 
from a church that he had never visited? I mean, if you're a member in this church, can you mention 27 names without looking at the directory? And MK doesn't count. <laughs> but imagine listing 27 names from a church that Paul had never visited. And you wonder, where did you meet these people? Because clearly he met them. He worked with them. The point is that these people Paul has met on his missionary journeys. And for a season, he recruited them, encouraged them to help him on his mission team, even though they were not professional missionaries. He, he knew how to cultivate relationships who would join him on the mission he was doing. And now he has all kinds of memories, experiences that he, he would briefly mention about some of these names. For example, one of the names is Aquila and Priscilla, or Prisca and Aquila. Uh, these, this couple, we know for sure, were not professional missionaries because they were actually business people. They were tradesmen who were making tents. Because of their business, they traveled often and in various places, Yet the, the, this couple viewed their travels not merely to get their business done wherever they were in various parts of the world, but wherever they went, they also gave of their time to spend with other Christians or would-be Christians, to share Christ with them, to disciple them, and wherever possible, they joined Paul and helped them on the ministry that Paul was doing. In other words... Uh, this business couple was leveraging their business trade for gospel purposes, even, they, even though they were not professional missionaries. But then look again at, at other names. Look at verse 9. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Verse 12. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Bible teachers think that these two were likely sisters. Somebody even claimed that they have been twins. Their names are so phonetically so close to one another that perhaps their parents uh, thought, let's give them names that are so similar to each other. It's unclear. There's just a, uh, a, a presupposition. But consider also the name of Mary. Verse 6, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Again, this is not a clue that she was a vocational minister, but she worked hard in the Lord. Mary is not the only one about whom we read that she worked hard in the Lord. We read the same about Persis in verse 12. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. List of names, people. But what's similar about them all, about these that I just mentioned, is that they worked hard. They worked for the Lord. Can this be said of you? no matter what your job is, can others say about you if they were to mention your name in a public list, could they say about you a fellow worker in the Lord? And when it comes to doing things for the Lord, can some say who worked hard in the Lord? You can see here the, 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 the value that Paul emphasizes in, in making these names public. He emphasizes how he built relationships with others, encouraging them to be together in gospel ministry. Whether you are male or female, Jew or Gentile, young or old, and just a normal person or someone with influence, Paul is bringing up these names as fellow workers in Christ. Oh, friends, I love being a member of this church because there are so many in our church who are fellow workers with me in this gospel. And I'm not talking just about our, our lay elders, Pastor Russ and Pastor Ryan. I'm not talking about our, our brothers who are serving as deacons. They they are, they are publicly recognized as, as workers in the Lord. I'm talking about all the other members, many of whom are working hard. 
in the Lord. Friends, gospel ministry, or the gospel ministry as we proclaim it, creates relationships and then we we leverage these relationships so that together we have a greater impact for Christ for spreading his name among the nations. Oh, friends, many of the early Christians were ministry-minded even though they were not in full-time ministry or vocational ministry positions. Are you? Can that be said of you personally? The point is that missions and evangelism should not be left to the professionals or to the full-time workers alone. Part of cultivating gospel relationships means that we are intentionally seeking through and how to encourage one another to be doing this together. So when you get an email from Mary Catherine that we're looking for another volunteer or another opportunity to serve, uh, it may be easy to give in to all the, the perhaps sometimes the guilt trip emails or the humorous emails that encourage you to do something and serve. But friends, we want to recognize that we want to cultivate relationships as we serve together. Because these relationships are in the Lord. Throughout these relationships, as Paul mentions them, did you notice how often he uses the phrase, in the Lord? In the Lord. Can that be said of the relationships that you are cultivating uh, with one another? We care about these relationships because they are in the Lord. Oh, friends, when you think about developing relationships... Remember, what brings us together as the body of Christ, working for the gospel together, is the Lord. Gospel relationships for, um, in this list that we see are both for men and for women. Nine of the 27 names are females. This is an astonishing claim or, or clue in a culture like the first century, which was dominated by male leadership. So it's important to notice that Paul is highlighting the role of women in spreading the gospel, the role of women in partaking uh, and working for gospel purposes. I'm intrigued that the only two times that Paul mentions that some people worked hard in the Lord are women. And I want to ask, Paul, where where are the men who worked hard in the Lord? I'm sure they are, but... But here in this list, the the ones who are mentioned as working hard are the women. I want to praise God for the women in our congregation who are working hard for the Lord. And I praise God for the men in our congregation who are working hard for the Lord. Now, we as a congregation understand that Scripture, when it speaks about the role of pastor, it limits that role only to qualified men, not all men, but men who are biblically qualified to serve in that role. That does not mean that that the women have a secondary role or some sort of a second level, second tier of ministry service in the church. No, not at all. We see actually in this list of, of names that Paul mentions, the fact that he gives so much prominence to, to mentioning women and highlighting their service and their hard work for the Lord, that there is so much work to be done for gospel purposes by men and women working together, even if the office of the pastor is limited by Scripture only to qualified men. We should not look at that distinction on that office as somehow being just an antiquarian, old-fashioned, or just a cultural issue. But here actually Paul is highlighting the, the, the essential role that women have for promoting and moving forward the gospel ministry. Cultivate gospel relationships intentionally for gospel purposes so that we work together in the Lord. A third characteristic. The first characteristic was gospel relationships must be cultivated generously. Second, they must be cultivated for gospel purposes. Thirdly, they must be cultivated affectionately, affectionately. Uh, The act of greeting each other is not simply say hi to so-and-so. In ancient times, when someone would go on record 
to publicly mention someone and greet someone publicly in this official way, it was an expression of showing affection, of showing that someone is thinking about somebody else, of reaching out to them publicly, of acknowledging them. To greet others in this public way was a way of saying, I know you, I remember you, I value our relationship. Now, I realize that in our culture today, we don't use the passing of greetings to communicate this message. Though if you were in a Romanian church, like in Romania, churches, and even in the U.S., Romanian churches, for example, uh, when they have guests and visitors from other churches, they would hear a greeting and they would pass on a greeting. So this notion of passing on greetings publicly while may, it, it may not be a, a, a part of our American value system or how we communicate affection, there are cultures around the world today who do that. The point, though, is by this act of publicly greeting somebody else, it's a way of affirming and valuing others and showing affection for them. And the descriptions attached to some of these names clearly emphasize the affectionate value of these public greetings. Look at verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. We could go through a number of names. Let me just bring one more. In verse 13, perhaps this is the most affectionate of, of, of greetings here because Paul is mentioning the, the greeting of a mother. Look at verse 13. Paul says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Here is the testimony of a mother who extended her motherly affections to other believers. Those of you who are sisters in the Lord in this congregation, who are mothers in our church, use your motherly instincts to minister not only to your biological family, but to others who are in the Lord in this congregation. Some of you are wonderful grandmothers to me in this congregation. You act in such an affectionate, loving way. We treat each other like family. That's what Christians do. That's what Christians' relationships are like acting in these affectionate ways because gospel re relationships must be cultivated affectionately. And this list of greetings ends with a, with a command in verse 16 which makes it super clear that our relationships to each other ought to be affectionate. Verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's as if Paul is saying, listen, if I, if I didn't include all of you in my greetings... These greetings should not be just for these 27 names. I am charging you. You go and greet each other, one another, with a holy kiss. I also need to clarify here that the phrase, with a holy kiss, uh, should not be interpreted as in some way, some romantic dimension of affection. It does refer, though, to this notion of Holy affections. Holy affections. Uh, the kiss in an ancient culture often showed closeness and affection. And when it comes to our Christian fellowship, as a church, we should not settle for cold, distant relationships. Now, I realize when someone is coming in new to a church, uh, all the people that you see, if you're new, all the people you see around here are strangers to you. And I, I appreciate and understand how, especially for someone who's, who's more, uh, more of an introvert or just has a harder time to make friends, um, looking at a crowd that seems to mingle so well with one another at the end of the service actually feels very intimidating and difficult. And it may be hard to sort of like, wow, pry in to get to know these people because they're all strangers to you. I understand that. It, it takes intentionality and it takes uh, a, a desire to go out of your shell and out of your comfort zone to, 
to get to introduce yourself to new people and hopefully you would just have the courage to stick around a, few, a little longer after the service and others may introduce themselves to you. I, I understand it takes energy and it takes intentionality to do that. But if you're a guest, if you're a visitor, or even a new member, I just want to encourage you, do not, please, do not rush out of the service as soon as we're dismissed. Stick around because we want to get to know you. We want to encourage this opportunity to show affection and care for one another by getting to know each other. Does this mean that everyone will become best friends? No. But it does mean that our fellowship in the church should be characterized by affectionate relationships. Those should be the norm. What should be unnatural or weird is for our relationships to be characterized by just coldness and distantness. And sometimes when, when we go and you go and visit other churches where the relationships are not as close to one another, you feel that temperature difference in the relationships. Oh, friends, how are you doing in cultivating this affectionate fellowship with others? Whether you've been a, a member in this church for a long time or whether you are new to our church, what would it look like for you to grow in showing affections in your fellowship to the members here. That's what it means to greet each other or kiss each other with a holy kiss. Uh, what are ways in which even this month you can grow in increasing your affections for others? Sometimes, I mentioned one already, just stick around after the service. Uh, don't, don't be in a hurry to get out. Uh, other ways we can do that is offer to, to take a meal to someone who is sick or someone who is in need. When you hear about someone or you haven't seen someone in a while, uh, give them a call. Ask them how they are doing. Uh, send them an email. Send them a text. Uh, if they're open, offer to meet up and just grab coffee or lunch or a dessert. Ask them to come over. Uh, or you offer to go and see them. Friends, I want to encourage us to grow in, in this affectionate display of relationships. If you're not a member of our church and you're visiting with us or perhaps you've been attending our church for a while, we hope that you would consider joining, committing to a congregation that is intentionally investing in cultivating such affectionate relationships. We hope that you consider this congregation. But by God's grace, there's other good gospel churches in our city. And if you're coming from out of town and you're not a member in, in a church in your town, we encourage you to find a gospel preaching church that you would not only attend regularly but commit to, join. Because part of showing affectionate relationships to one another is to commit to them. Commit to them in the Lord. Well, friends, it should be weird for Christians to remain unengaged, uncommitted, and distant in their relationships with one another. That should feel weird in a bad sense. Not weird like we talk here in Austin. Weird in a bad sense. That actually communicates something opposite of what the gospel does when it brings us together with God and brings us together as a family. Friends, I realize some Christians may have had bad experiences in their past church attending places. Some people may have been hurt by relationships with Christians in the church. Now, if that's you, I, I understand in a, in a, even in churches uh, who are proclaiming the gospel, sometimes hurtful things do happen. But we want to encourage you, if, if that's been your experience, come and talk to us at the end of the service or throughout the week, we would love to help you work through those hurts so that we can encourage you to, to experience God's restoration and that you can cultivate meaningful relationships and affectionate relationships with other Christians because gospel relationships must be cultivated affectionately. And finally, the last point that we see in this passage, gospel relationships must be cultivated discerningly. Gospel relationships must be cultivated discerningly. As much as we have been encouraged in these list of greetings, 
in the beginning and the end of this, of this text that we have read, as much as we be encouraged to welcome one another in the Lord, to welcome each other generously and for gospel purposes and affectionately, this last characteristic is a little bit of a puzzle and a, of a surprise. The need for us to also exercise discernment and at times to avoid certain people. Yes, this also is part of gospel relationships. Now let me clarify, if you are not a Christian but are exploring the claims of Christianity, what Jesus said about himself and about how Jesus is calling all sinners to come to him, uh, Jesus tells us that if, if anyone would come to him, he will not be turned away. So if any of you are here and are seeking to understand what Christianity is about and, and are not yet saved, we want you to understand and know that God is calling you to come to himself. And if you do, if you put your trust and faith in Jesus, you will not be turned away. And no church will turn you away. Or should they, no church should turn you away. And yet there are some who pretend and claim to be, in, to be Christians and Christ followers who are actually uh, pretend Christians or false teachers. They not only are deceived in their own understanding of their Christian life, but they're actually trying to persuade others in that deception and to move others to turn away from the sound doctrine of the gospel and to be teaching and gaining a following into a false gospel. We don't know all the details about who this group is, but clearly in verses 17 and 18, listen to, to who else was among the church of Rome. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. From this, it's clear that we're not, Paul is not talking here about, simply about those people who are not Christians, and, and they don't even claim to be Christians. These we should embrace, we should welcome, we should seek them out, we should, uh, we should extend our fellowship and friendship to help them understand and know who God is. And if that's you this morning, we want to extend that to you. But there's some who pretend to be Christians and who are actually out there trying to gain a following and want, are deceiving uh, the naive. And Paul says, uh, these must be avoided. Uh, no, notice what they're, what they're good at. They're good at flattery, at making you feel important. They're good at presenting their case in a persuasive way. They're smooth talkers. But their teaching is contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught in Scripture. And that's the category that Paul is talking about here. Those who are going out of their way to teach, to persuade, to gain a following, but they're actually teaching something contrary to God's Word. This list of people should be avoided. This gives us a great lesson about gospel relationships. The gospel relationships must be cultivated discerningly. Uh, this means that the people that are teaching among us should know the Bible. And they should teach the Bible faithfully. Those who don't teach the Bible faithfully uh, should be avoided. If I were to move away from teaching this word faithfully, you should confront me about it. And if I were to persist in that teaching falsely or contrary to this book, uh, at some point, after going back and forth and clarifying, at some point, you should avoid listening to me. You should kick me out. And you should do that with any and every elder who would follow the same path as as the people that Paul identifies here in verses 17 and 18. In other words, you should not listen just to about anybody who just is, is a, is, has a gift in teaching well or makes you feel important. 
they're not teaching the Bible faithfully. Uh, you should avoid them. It's clear also that these people are not Christians because Paul says about them, they are not serving the Lord. And that's an important contrast in the list of greetings that Paul has given so far. About most of them, it's been said that these are fellow workers in the Lord. But the people in verses 17 and 18, they're not serving the Lord. They have a different master. These are not Christians, even though they may pretend to be such. That's a, that's a difference here. This does not mean that we would avoid people with whom we might have some disagreements on certain secondary doctrines. Uh, we, there's room for us to have certain different interpretations on, on doctrines of, of, the, of the Christian faith that are secondary to the gospel. So just because we have a disagreement on a, on a particular view of a particular doctrine with somebody else does not mean that we need to avoid everybody who disagrees with us. But for those who are teaching a different gospel and are moving away from the sound teaching of Scripture, we should not listen to them. We should avoid them. There's a number of people, of, of popular TV preachers, that I would encourage you to run away from and not listen to. If you want to know who they are, come and talk to me after the service. I'm glad to tell you some of, about some of them. But be cultivating gospel relationships discerningly. And our, com our, our communion, our fellowship, should be based on the, the truthfulness of God's word. That, this means that relationships in gospel ministry should not be unconditional. They should be conditional. Conditional, conditioned by God's word. Conditional by our union in Christ. I cannot have a gospel fellowship with someone who's not a Christian. We should have friendship. We should be kind and seek to help and, and serve those who are not Christians. But the gospel fellowship can only be experienced with those who are also in Christ. So don't be naive. Paul makes it very clear here that uh, he wants these Christians in Rome to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Notice how Paul describes here the, the Christians in Rome are in contrast to the, to the group in verse 17 and 18. In verse uh, 19, Paul says, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The churches, the Christians to whom Paul is writing are so different than the subset of people that Paul has encouraged them to be avoiding and not to have fellowship with. And Paul gives them this confirmation and affirmation, your obedience is known to all. This means the gospel they have believed has produced a change in their lives. And it's evident to others that these believers, these Christians, are truly Christians because it's evident. Their lives show it. Their obedience to God is, is manifested. Now, this is not talking about obeying the commandments of God as a means of getting saved. It simply means that those who are saved are aligning their lives to God's word, and that is showing up in their lives. Oh, friends, some people who hear and bear the name of Christ do not show their obedience. There are some who, for whom their obedience to God is not evident, even to their own family members. Paul is affirming that these Christians have a kind of faith in God that produces this obedience of faith, this, this entrusting of their lives to God, following His ways, and it's clear to others. Can others say that about you? That your obedience is known to all? Oh, friends, our Christian faith should not be just a private individualistic experience, but it should be public. It should be known and visible to others. If it's not, that should be a red flag. Why not? Is it because you're a baby Christian? Or is it because perhaps there's just been a, 
a claim to know the name of Jesus, but there's, there's, no, there's no evidence and fruitfulness in your life that Christ is making a change in you. Those in whom Christ lives, eventually, slowly, inconsistently, will show fruit in, in their lives. But notice there's a great promise at the very end of this text, uh, or at the very end of, of, in verse 20. Paul says, why should we labor to cultivate these gospel relationships generously for gospel purposes, affectionately and discerningly? Why? Look at verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. One Bible teacher put it beautifully here. He said, the instrument God uses to crush Satan is the church of Christ, who are in Christ, the corporate fulfillment of the seed of the woman. The first fulfillment of what God has said in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the passage that our brother Jared read earlier in the service, that the primary fulfillment of the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent is Jesus Christ. But all those who are in Christ are an unfolding of the community, of the body of Christ, so that Paul can say soon, God will crush Satan under your feet. Not individually, but corporately. Our corporate life, our relationships as we are the body of Christ God is using our new relationships in this gospel that one day Satan will be crushed under our feet together. Wow. That's a promise. That means in this journey that we have, as we labor together, sometimes Satan gets his way with infiltrating his schemes of division among us. Sometimes he's so wickedly shrewd to deceive us and to, to use some of, our, some of our ways with one another that he gets his job done even in the fellowship of the church, even among relationships between Christians, even among family members who claim the name of Jesus, there's division. That's the reality that we are still waiting for the day when God will crush Satan fully and finally under our feet. But we have, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're still on the journey towards that end. That's why we must be intentionally on the lookout to cultivate these gospel relationships. Not to look at them passively. They're just going to happen. No, we are called to work hard at these relationships. Work and cultivate them generously. Work and cultivate them for gospel purposes. Work and cultivate them affectionately and, af and work and cultivate them discerningly because God has given us this wonderful promise. Satan will be crushed. God will crush him under our feet as we follow the Lord together. So, gospel relationships, do they matter? They do. They are the proof, or the proof is in the pudding. They are the pudding of the fact that this gospel is true. That what God said he would do with his son Jesus for us is truly genuine and real. And to this gospel, we want to invite you to be a part of. If you are not a Christian, respond to God by repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ. If you are a Christian, join us in this gospel ministry together. You do not have to be a pastor to be in the gospel ministry. Every one of us who is a follower of Christ and in Christ, we're called to use our relationships for gospel ministry because God has promised that through our life together, he will crush Satan under our feet. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we praise you for your goodness, for your plan of salvation, and for the wisdom that you have designed 
in your church, that through your church you will display the manifold wisdom of your plan of salvation. And that through our life together as a congregation, as Christians who cultivate gospel relationships, that you have promised that one day Satan will be utterly and totally defeated. Father, we pray that until that day comes, you would help us cultivate these gospel relationships for the sake of the glory of Christ and for the sake of our encouragement. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.